The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is John chapter 18, the whole chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out and his disciples, with his disciples, across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I'm he. Jesus, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father's given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Anas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do what you... So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, No, not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber. The word of God for the people of God. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We are in the Gospel of John, obviously, and we are covering a lot of text this morning. So let me start by... Drawing your attention to there are seven metaphorical I am statements that John um, puts before the lips of Jesus in the gospel that are meant to help the reader see the deity of Christ, to see that Jesus is the Son of God, equal with God the Father. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, again, Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. John 10, 7, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. Each one of those statements echoes of how God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3, 14. 
Moses asked God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, do you notice what happens at the beginning of chapter 18 in verse 4? Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. At the very beginning of the passion of Jesus Christ, we once again see Jesus reveal his divine power, and it provokes a response in those present that they themselves may not fully understand. Jesus reveals his glory to the soldiers that have come to arrest him, and they can't help but fall to the ground. This begins to capture the paradox that is John chapter 18. On one hand, Jesus displays his divinity, his power, his strength. He is in complete control of everything that is happening to him. And on the other hand, he displays his humanity in his suffering. Life in our fallen world is filled with emotional pain, relational woes, soul unrest, the dark night of the soul. It does not matter if you have been a Christian for decades or if this is the first time you've been inside the four walls of a church in a long time. Suffering is a great equalizer. Everyone experiences it, and not a soul goes unaffected by it. Even Jesus, in his humanity, was not immune to these types of emotional suffering. Betrayal accusation, denial. Jesus walks into them all. And as Kevin reminded us, these are some of the themes that mark and fill the season of Lent. Lent is a season, as we've described over the last few weeks, of preparation and repentance as we anticipate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And meditating on the themes of betrayal and accusation and denial Help us to grasp the intense significance of the crucifixion and give us a deep longing for the resurrection. The drama of how the passion all unfolds is unfolded in the story of Lent. And Lent reminds us that Jesus' suffering, Jesus' journey to the cross had purpose. To bring redemption to sufferers and sinners. So that's what I want to spend a few moments in our, in our short time together this morning meditating on. How the gospel is good news for sufferers and for sinners. And particularly, how the betrayal, accusation, and denial of Jesus is good news for sufferers and sinners. So let's take a look at each of those together, starting with the betrayal of Jesus. Have you felt the sharp pain of betrayal. Someone close to you, whom you've walked with, who you've shared life with, turns their back on you or 
even worse yet, stabs you in the back. I shared this story recently with our intro gospel community. We were talking about the challenges of forgiveness and what came to mind was a relationship I had with a gentleman about 10 years ago. Um, I had met him, he uh, had come from a really challenging and difficult background, Um, abuse, neglect, uh, gang activity, so much more. I invited him into my life and spent a lot of time with him. A number of times invited him into our family's home. Uh, Got a chance to see him get baptized and learn what it means to follow after Jesus. Everything was trending in a really good direction until I crossed paths with his cousin. Didn't take long for me to realize uh, that his cousin communicated that that this young man uh, was a pathological liar. He would go from groups of relationships to groups of relationships and just spin lies that were all based on nothing. Uh, I went with one of the pastors here of the church to sit down and have a conversation with him. uh, And that night when I sat down to have that conversation with him was the last night that I spoke to him. He just vanished into the night. Betrayal can be defined as deliberate disloyalty. A key component of betrayal is that it's often premeditated. It cuts deep, leaving you feeling like your sense of security has significantly been threatened. Those who have been betrayed in this room can resonate with the feeling of being shocked, stunned, caught off guard because they didn't see it coming. Some of you feel very acutely the suffering of betrayal. At the outset of John 18, Jesus took his disciples out across the Kidron Valley and into a garden, a place that would have been very familiar to his followers. Judas, in a premeditated act of betrayal, gathered a band of Roman soldiers and some officers from the chief priests. The combination of both Roman and Jewish authorities in this arrest in some ways communicates that at this point the entire world was against Jesus. They came with lanterns and with torches and with weapons. Jesus, in complete control of the situation, comes out to meet them, identifies himself, and willingly gives himself into their hands. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go, speaking of his disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Peter creates a momentary scene of chaos by pulling out a weapon and cutting off the right ear of one of the high priest's servants. Jesus immediately takes control of that situation and tells Peter to put his weapon into his sheath and says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus felt the acute pain of betrayal. And yet Jesus stepped towards Judas's betrayal with a purpose, with a redemptive purpose. For those of you who know the suffering of betrayal, the gospel is the good news that Jesus was betrayed so you could belong to him. Jesus was betrayed so that you can belong to him. Betrayal cuts so deep because we were made for deep, meaningful relational connections. We were made for relationships built on trust and built on truth. 
And Jesus in himself offers to us that type of relationship to those of you who have suffered betrayal. The gospel is the good news that Jesus was betrayed so you could belong to him. Let's move now from the betrayal of Jesus to the accusation of Jesus. Have you felt the shock, the disorientation, the confusion of being accused of doing something you did not do? Perhaps this was as a child growing up. Perhaps it was at work between colleagues being blamed for something you had nothing to do with or having your motives called into question for something you did do. The suffering of accusation can produce false guilt, false guilt, anger, defensiveness. Some of you know the suffering of false accusation. Jesus is arrested and bound by the Roman soldiers and by the officers of the Jews. He is first taken to Annas, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. We can assume that Annas still had some level of significant authority in the community as a patriarch, as a father-in-law. Arguably, perhaps Caiaphas was spending some time getting some people together for a, for a trial. Uh, but Jesus gets before Annas, and historians note that in a formal Jewish hearing in the first century, it may have been illegal to question a defendant directly because a case had to rest on the establishment of a testimony of witnesses. And yet they ask Jesus very direct questions. Perhaps they're trying to trap Jesus and establish a set of witnesses. But Jesus, in control of the situation, says this in verse 20. Jesus answering him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I did. So Jesus is basically communicating. I've already, you have witnesses. If there's witnesses, they're out there. This response angers one of the officers who's standing nearby who in a moment channels his inner Will Smith and open hand slaps Jesus. <laughs> Too soon, some people roll their eyes, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus turns to the officer and says, Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus is taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, not much in this gospel is mentioned about that. And then he's taken to Pontius Pilate. The trial moves from being a religious trial to being a political one. And in a moment, we'll see why. Pilate goes outside to meet the religious leaders who would not go inside the governor's headquarters because they uh, refused to enter a Gentile building or home because by doing so would have made them unclean for the Passover. I hope you're picking up on some of the thick irony that is in this account, that the religious leaders wanting to preserve their religious behaviors are willing to still put to death an innocent man in their desire to preserve their worship of God, they're willing to crucify the Son of God. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. 
Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. We see here Jesus is accused of doing evil. In the Gospel of Luke, before Pilate, they accused Jesus of misleading the nation, leading an insurrection against Caesar, and claiming to be a king. Pilate goes inside and asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, again, in command of the entire situation, tells Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world, that if his kingdom were of this world, his disciples would have fought back at this terrible injustice, but that his kingdom is not of this world, and that he came into the world not to bear false witness, not to speak false accusations, but to bear witness to the truth, and that everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. Jesus felt the disorienting suffering of false accusation. And yet Jesus allowed himself to be unjustly tried under false accusations for a purpose, for a redemptive purpose. For those of you who know the suffering and the pain of false accusation, the gospel is the good news that Jesus was accused so that you can be affirmed by him that Jesus was accused so that you could be affirmed by him. False accusation, words of deceit, unjust statements, perhaps even your own inner dialogue that sounds very condemning breaks you down. It tears away your humanity. And you were made to have your humanity redeemed and restored. Jesus does that by speaking words of affirmation, truth, about who you are when you belong to him. The gospel is the good news that Jesus was accused so that you could be affirmed by him. We've seen the betrayal of Jesus. We've looked at the accusation of Jesus. Let's now turn to the denial of Jesus. We have all felt the heartache of being denied or rejected. It may be something as being cut from the freshman basketball team in high school. Could be not getting that promotion at work. We're all familiar with feelings of rejection. Some of us, that feeling of rejection goes deeper. Some of you lived through stories of divorce, abandonment, that feeling that someone does not love you or want you or want to be associated with you. The emotional pain of this denial, this rejection can result in loneliness, sadness, shame. It can feel like there's something wrong with you, that you are just not enough. All of us, to one degree or another, know the suffering of denial and rejection. Jesus knew that Peter's denial was coming. Back in John 13, 38, he said to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then we fast forward to John 18. Peter is first cornered by a servant girl who asked, You also are not one of his man's disciples, are you? 
Then a second time, a group said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And finally, one of the servants of the high priest, and ironically a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Each of these general questions comes with a general answer. Although moments earlier, Jesus had the courage to step forward and say, I am he. Each time, Peter steps back and says, I am not. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Luke's gospel adds even more weight to the emotional suffering that Jesus would have endured in this moment. In Luke 22, verse 61, when the rooster crowed, it said that Jesus turned in that moment and looked at Peter. Peter would have, or Jesus would have been in earshot of Peter. Jesus has been betrayed. He has been falsely accused. And now Peter denies being his disciple and rejects Jesus publicly. One commentator rightly notes that John has constructed a dramatic contrast wherein Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. Again, Jesus was not surprised by this moment. He knew it was coming. He allowed it to happen for a purpose, for a redemptive purpose. For those of you who know the emotional pain and suffering of rejection, the gospel is the good news that Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted by him. The gospel is the good news that Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted by him. Hear this, the gospel is good news for sufferers. Jesus walked through the dark night of the soul. Jesus felt emotional pain and suffering. Jesus was not immune to life in this sad world. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But do not mistake it. Jesus' suffering did not lack purpose. Jesus was betrayed so that you could belong to him. Jesus was accused so that you could be affirmed by him. Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted in him. The gospel is good news for sufferers. The gospel is also really good news for sinners. I've spent so much time this last week in this chapter and my mind, my attention continues to be drawn to the final scene, the final paragraph right at the end of John 18. It says, after he, Pilate, had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. There are two particular things that grip me about this scene. One is just the absolute insanity of substitution. Jesus has been falsely accused of claiming to be a king and leading an insurrection against Rome. Pilate finds no guilt in him whatsoever, offers to set him free, and the crowd says, no, don't set him free, set free Barabbas, who has led an insurrection against Rome and killed people. 
Do you see the irony? It's as though there is nothing that could happen that's going to keep Jesus from going to the cross. It's as if death on a cross has been in the agenda from the very moment that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's as if the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion has all been set in motion since the moment Jesus, full of grace and truth, began to reveal his glory to the world. Nothing was going to keep Jesus from going to the cross. The second thing I've not been able to shake from this passage in this last paragraph all week is that this whole chapter is filled with so much emotional pain and turmoil. Soul-level suffering, heartache and pain. Judas falls into a deep depression. Jesus, over and over again, is an object of suffering. Peter struggles through shame. The crowd is filled with hate. Pilate is disoriented. Everybody is feeling the weight and the gravity to one degree or another in this scene. Now, this is complete conjecture. Hear, hear me saying, I'm, the Bible's here, I'm moving over here, okay? But here's my hypothesis. The only person in John 18 who experiences an ounce of happiness is Barabbas. Think about it. This is a man who was guilty. He stood next to Jesus figuratively in the shadow of the cross and the crowd says, no, release to us Barabbas. And Barabbas in that moment begins to walk away as a free man experiencing joy and gladness and happiness to a degree that he had not experienced perhaps in a long time. Now, don't get me wrong. We have no idea if that is eternal gladness that leads to eternal life, but it definitely is, I would assume, to some degree, a temporary form of happiness that has him rejoicing in the fact that Jesus has stood in his place. The gospel is good news for sufferers. It is good news for sufferers. For those who have been betrayed, for those who have been falsely accused, for those who have been denied and rejected, Jesus suffered and was hated so that you could be healed and restored. But don't forget, friends, the gospel is really good news for those of you in the room this morning who know you are betrayers. You have falsely accused people. You have rejected and denied those closest to you. I mean, we could take a straw poll for a moment and just consider the ways that we've done this before God. Betraying God by the breaking of one of the Ten Commandments, taking the Lord's name in vain because when something goes wrong, right, you accuse God of that. Denying him by making much out of the things of this world rather than making much of him. We've all done that. But perhaps when you allow yourself to sit still for a moment and take an audit of your life and your, your own relationships, what actually weighs heavy on your conscience, what actually burdens you the most, what you have the hardest time moving on from, are not the ways you've offended God, but the ways that you have betrayed, accused, denied those around you. Friends, you are not only sufferers in a sad world, you are sinners before a holy God. 
And the good news of the gospel always starts with bad news. The gospel that we love and cherish starts with bad news before it gets to the good. Whether you've walked with Jesus for years like Peter, whether you've just met Jesus like Barabbas, you are guilty before God and deserving of death. So imagine with me for a moment that it's not Barabbas and Jesus standing before the crowd, but it's you and Jesus standing before the crowd. One of you is going to be released. But that decision is not posed to the crowd. That decision is posed to Jesus. And Jesus turns to you, looks you in the eye, loves you to the end, and says, I'm going to the cross to set you free. Your sin, your guilt, your shame is coming with me to the cross. It's going with me into the tomb, and it's staying there. Therefore, you are set free. You are able to rejoice and rest and experience peace in the gospel. Friends, this is the gospel that we have received. This is the gospel that we stand in. This is the gospel by which we are being saved. As a people who have, who have experienced suffering, as a people who have sinned against one another and against God, let us rejoice in the glorious good news of the gospel. The good news that the gospel ministers grace to sufferers and sinners. Let's pray together. Jesus, we give you praise for being a friend to sinners and being a friend to sufferers. We praise you for what Paul says in the book of Philippians, that although you were in the form of God, you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made yourself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to the point of death. In your abundant mercy, you allowed yourself to be betrayed, accused, and rejected so that we could experience the grace of belonging, affirmation, and acceptance. Holy Spirit, pour out your healing grace on those of us who have experienced the suffering of betrayal, accusation, and rejection. Pour out your forgiving grace on those of us who are betrayers, accusers, and deniers. And allow the suffering of this sad world to bring greater and greater light to the glorious good news of the gospel. Help us to live in light of your resurrection glory today and in all of our days to come until your return. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.